0: Welcome to All Rise with Diane Godfrey. True stories from around the courthouse, from the lady who wrote everything down. Hey, Jordan Rich here, Boston-based broadcaster and podcaster, and it's such a pleasure to work alongside Diane on her podcast, a true pro and one heck of a storyteller. And today I get the chance to talk with Diane about one particular case, case in which she served ably as court reporter. And Diane, to put it bluntly, this is one bizarre story. So let's get into it, shall we?
1: Hi, Jordan. You know, the reason I decided to talk about this case is this is a true crime podcast, but this is a garden variety case that would come into the courtroom I worked in on a regular basis. Not that I'm trivializing the subject matter. I mean garden variety in the sense that cases often come into the courthouse of this nature. And for the most part, the public isn't even aware that these cases are going on. It's not a murder, but it was a guy I don't really he wasn't exactly a flasher, but I want to call him an exposer. Mm-hmm. He would expose himself to women. Uh, this case happened in 2008. The events happened on one day and on a beautiful July summer day in downtown crossing in Boston. And it was tried the following March in 2009 to set the stage of what happened.
0: By the way, it had to be a beautiful day in July. You don't usually see an exposure in January or February, but maybe you do. I don't know.
1: You know, I never thought about that, but we have such harsh winters. You're, you're <laughs> correct. Right out of the gate. It if be... the, this guy was wearing mesh basketball shorts, bright red, mind you. We didn't blend. And then he had a matching red mesh shirt, sleeveless basketball shirt. Mind you, the shorts were, according to all counts of everyone that saw him that day, they were completely sheer and see-through, and they were ripped in all the right spots so everyone could see everything he owned.
0: So let's talk about what brought him to trial in the first place. What were the actual charges? And Well, well take us through the procedure, if you would.
1: Well, I can tell you the charges. He was charged with four counts of open and gross lewdness. Now that's word lewdness L E W D N E S S. I know what it is but just to be sure so I wouldn't be misguiding anybody. Last night I went to reach for my Black's Law dictionary which is the mm-hmm. bible in you know, the world of law and I couldn't find it. And then I realized it's on a shelf at Suffolk County Courthouse. And it's funny with the way that things are with the internet now, we very seldom pick up a dictionary and that's a terrific book. My brother had given it to me a long time ago for um, Christmas back before the internet was really up and running. It's a great guide. So I looked for it, couldn't find it, but I did Google it. And according to Google, there is a definition here of lewdness. And it says, involving or being sexual conduct that is considered indecent or offensive. So there you have it.
0: Now, were there people who who were affected by this? Usually an exposer wants to expose himself to someone, usually a female. I assume that happened in this case.
1: It did. And you know what? The, The events that I'm going to speak about in the trial, this gentleman allegedly exposed himself to four women on that July day, in of close proximity. Now, if all four women were professional women, they didn't know each other. It happened at different times of the day in different areas, but it was all in that downtown crossing area. And if you're not from Boston, Jordan, you know well, that place is humming.
0: Yeah, I live actually in that general vicinity, as you know, Diane, and it is a very busy uh, walking center. They uh, eliminated a lot of the traffic patterns, you know, yep. for retail and walking, and it's right near the public garden. So
1: Yes, and it's also steps from the, it's replete with tourists, because it's not like a, a stinky area of Boston. I mean, you know, it's safe, and it's right near the Freedom Trail. You know, it wasn't like it was Dark Alley, or it was right in plain view that this happened. So this guy, his name was Mark Felix, F-E-L-I-X, 39 years old at the time. And I'm not going to use the names of the four victims. I'm going to call them victim one, two, three, and four, only because I think they've been traumatized enough. And I don't want to, you know, put their name all over the internet. Not that it's it's all public record. And if anyone wants to challenge me on this, they can even call Suffolk Superior Court Criminal Clerk's Office and just give them the docket number, which I have somewhere here. Here it is. Here's the docket number. It's Criminal Docket 2008 10794. And you could just say Mark Felix, you know, March of 09, and they will verify. There were, in fact, four people that this man exposed himself to, allegedly. So I can start with. 10.30 in the morning on Winter Street. You know where that is, Jordan?
0: Yes, right in the heart of that downtown crossing area.
1: Tons of big, tall buildings with all kinds of professional people. And, you know, it's it's really, as I said, it hums along in a nice way. It's about 10.30 a.m. and the victim one decides she's going to go on her morning break. So she goes down the elevator. And as she exits her elevator in her lobby, now, I just want to point this out, and you'll back me up on this being a Bostonian. Boston has many old buildings with many teeny, tiny elevators. And some of these buildings have the smallest vestibules, the eight by 10 sometimes. We have big, grand, beautiful buildings, but interspersed, they're those little Buildings, and this was a small building. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure you're familiar with that, Jordan.
0: Not only that, but there are a lot of small, narrow alleyways between some mm-hmm. of the buildings, too.
1: Nooks and crannies, and I think they were cow paths, you know, way back when. And then they just slap some asphalt on them, and they, that's why we have such a crazy mix. If you ever want to kick, pull out a map of downtown Boston; it's <laughs> nonsensical. So, so anyway, she exits. She gets into her vestibule, and a man approaches her, wearing. Red mesh shorts, red top, black backpack, white sneakers, muscular, average build, African-American. The whole, every single person that he exposed himself, gave the exact same description.
0: I have a question. In the traditional sense, the uh, stereotypical flasher or exposer is usually wearing a long raincoat. Was he just (laughs) showing up? Sorry, what are you laughing at? Was he just showing up that way? Is that the way it appeared?
1: Correctamundo. Okay. And you know what? When I first saw this case come in the courtroom, that's the first thing I thought of. Like, where's the raincoat? Uh, But yeah, I mean, I'm not laughing. It's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. And I don't want to, um, you know, minimize these women were it's appalling. And it's Oh yes. Uh, oh, I mean, come on. I mean, I'm laughing at the absurdity of the fool that did it, to be quite mm. frank with you, because as this case went on, it became crazier and crazier. That his behavior and things he said in the courtroom are things, quite frankly, I never heard in the courtroom said and probably never will again.
0: So you said there were four women who were accosted by this gentleman, quote unquote, and that was the first one on Winter Street, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes, at
1: 1030. She was going out for her morning break. He approaches her and he says, where's Copley Place or where's Boylston Street or something like that. Now, mind you, Boston's a postage stamp. I mean, it's small compared to other cities. And he's right across from the T. And for those that are not in Boston, that's our subway system. We don't call it the subway. We call it the T, like the letter T. He could have got that loaded with people that and and signs and maps and diagrams. So anyway, he asked her and she starts to innocently tell him, suggest that he goes across to the T and she looks and excuse the vulgarity, but I have to say it for the story. He had an erect penis and the top of his penis was sticking out of his shorts. And she's
0: To complete the ensemble, no pun intended.
1: <laughs> We're not talking Versace here, okay? Right. So, any, so anyway, she. What led her to even look down as she's giving her, you know, suggestion of what to do? He's got like a map or a guidebook in his hand, and he's got it down by his groin. And everyone that recited their experience with him said he all has he they he all he always had some book or map in his hand, and he held it near his groin. And then he would look like he was enjoying the fact that they were looking down at him. He just loved it. They all had the same idea.
0: Well, psychologically, that's kind of what we hear about, that these individuals get a charge out of others looking at them. So He moves on the same morning or the same day from that first one?
1: Yes, he did. But just to wrap up what happened, she decides that she's going to get back in the elevator and try to make her way up to her work because she's frightened. He blocked her way to the elevator. Oh, no. But lo and behold, now she's even more scared. And she's just caught so off guard. I mean, this doesn't happen. I worked there for decades. and I mean, this kind of stuff just doesn't happen there. So anyway, two Co-workers happen to get off the elevator, walk by her, and then one thought something was amiss and turned around and said, "Are you okay?" And she's like, "No." So one of her co-workers put her on the elevator, made sure the door shut, and up she goes back to work. And the two co-workers exited their you know vestibule to go. They were on their morning break. Doesn't he follow them? He has a piece of paper, and he hands it to. One of them, and says, give her my number. She's like, absolutely not. It was crazy. So she did call the police because the two co-workers. Oh, and also when he was asking for the, um, you know, where, how can I get to Boylston Street or Copley, Copley Place or Copley Square, whatever it was. He began to act erratically and he started to write something with a pen and paper going over and over the same letter. She said it was so odd. Fast forward, they all decide, they're back in their workplace, they decide to call the police. They report it to the police. That's 10.30. So fast forward to noontime on Summer Street. There was a woman, victim number two, worked for a nonprofit that involved children. And she was looking for a particular building on Otis Street to enter to get some kids, like her coworkers had dropped them off. She was tasked with getting the kids. So she's looking for the number. He walks up to her the victim, the alleged, I mean, the um, perpetrator. And he says he has a book in his hand. He's holding his hands near his groin area. And he says, Hey baby, looks like you're lost. And she's Mm. like, what? So she tries to get away from him, but she did notice an erection sticking out from the top of his thin shorts. She said he had a lot of holes in his shorts. So she just looks at him, gets scared and runs And as she runs, she gets away from him and she looked back and he was following some other woman, she said, in white pants.
0: Mm.
1: But at trial, I have to just tell you this little nugget. He had gone through four lawyers. So when it came to trial time, he represented himself. And it's what we call pro se. And you absolutely, as an American citizen, have every right to represent yourself. And I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, uh, here it comes. A man who, you ready?
0: <laughs> I love this quote. Go ahead.
1: It's awesome. And I never knew it was Abraham Lincoln until I Googled it last night, but I've heard it for years. A man who represents himself has a fool for a client.
0: <laughs> it's a very wise quote. So um, this is all happening again within the space of one day. And it, it, let's just say at this point, we're assuming now that this man has mental health issues. Am I right?
1: Um, yeah. Yes, Um, I don't, it was never said, it was never addressed, but I mean, the average person I think could glean that, but you know what I noticed about his personality from watching him? The trial was five days. Day one, we picked the jury. Um, day two, we had three of the four victims on and one of the coworkers day three, we had the balance of the victim, you know, the last victim. Then we had police officers on. Day four were closing arguments. His closing arguments was one for the books. It's going to the Hall of Fame of pro se defendants. That was a beautiful thing.
0: Before we get there, though, there are two more victims that we haven't talked about. Can we address those other cases?
1: Yeah, but what what I'm leading to in a long-winded way is when he represented himself, it became evident that there was something wrong. But I've never seen the following, Jordan, in a person. I truly believe that he had no conception of personal space he got way too close to people physically no conception of he may be offending someone or nor did he care and he was way too familiar with people he just was in their face straight on calling them baby honey let's do this it was nuts so anyway that was victim two at noontime 15 minutes later on the same street summer street which is a long street He does the same thing to victim number three. It was at Summer and Arch streets. He approaches her, he has an erect penis, she could see through his shorts, he's holding a book or a map by his groin. She ran to find a police officer and she did, but he got away. When Mr. Felix was cross-examining, I can't remember if it was a, a number two or three, the victim number two or three. At one point, the victim said to him, you were following me. To which Mr. Felix replied, followed you? I never followed any woman but my mama when I was two years old in my whole life. That's the only woman I ever followed. Victim four happens at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And that's at one Boston place, which is a huge skyscraper. This person, she worked for like a mortgage company, Mellon she worked for. She was going to go out for a late sandwich 2 p.m late lunch she made the mistake of and i call it a mistake it wasn't a mistake but just for the she didn't use the main entrance very familiar with the building wanted to quickly get to pie alley you know pie alley that and you're right that whole area has nooks crannies alleys she wants to just get a sandwich she goes out the side door she's no one's around but guess who's there mm. there he is once again red shorts Red top. He kind of, he doesn't touch her, but she said he was so close she could have touched him. He was in her space. She was backed up against the wall. Now, no one's around, so he gets a little more bold. He starts touching his erect penis and smiling in her face, and she can't get away from him. Can you imagine?
0: So what was he actually charged with then when it came to trial, Diane?
1: Forged? Four counts of open and gross lewdness.
0: And does that have a particular penalty that is attached to it normally?
1: I was shocked at the penalty. And it's, you know, statutorily, you have to go with what, you know, the legislature decides. I believe the max is three years in jail. Hmm. Wow. Isn't that crazy? And you know what I noticed? I don't know if this is what the deal is, either way. But I often, I wondered. I don't remember them saying he had to register as a sex offender.
0: That was a that was a question I had. uh, If there was any prior uh, experience with this man in the court system, was was this a first time offense, or had he been through the system before?
1: Very good question. I'm still wondering. Now, you have to understand as a court reporter, you can't ask. You sit there like a potted plant and you get what you get. Right. You don't get to see all the things that everyone else has, like the lawyers have it. But I do know this. He had a 16 page record.
0: OK. And
1: what I understand, he was originally from New York. But when they outlined some of the things he'd been um, in the past convicted of, it was like uh, drugs with intention, intention to, um, you know, distribute something to do with a car. There was a fraud charge in New York State. And I know he had two restraining orders against him.
0: Hmm. You talked about his behavior in the courtroom and his behavior in general. What about the the, the victims when, when they were in the courtroom? What was their demeanor like? Do you remember?
1: Uh, how could I forget, Jordan? Of George? course. OMG. I mean, this happened a long time ago, but, you know, these things stay with you. First of all, they were all, if you put the four women that he went up to and did this, They were all very pretty, medium height, college educated. It was like a textbook formula that he knew who to pick. And quite frankly, Jordan, if he picked the wrong type of girl, he'd be part of the pavement, really. I mean, I have a cousin. She's dead and buried. Lovely girl. If you messed with her, she had been, um, that whole family, my cousins, they were all lifetime Army people. They grew up on Army posts. They were lovers, not fighters. But if you messed with them, and I'm thinking that like that kind of woman, he didn't go after. He went after these very vulnerable, you know, well, professional. Well,
0: like a predator does, like a predator searching his prey. I mean, in this case, and, and thankfully there was no violence, at least in this sense, but uh, it's still a, a, an, a, an attack on your space, as you say.
1: Well, I really believe that he has, like, for instance, he also, when we got to trial, You have to hand it to those four victims. They came in, they took the stand. But in my opinion, as a woman, now I have to remember, too, I'm trained like this and I wholeheartedly believe no matter how horrific something is, how disturbing, innocent until the jury has Mm, spoken. Right. Okay. now you can't lose sight of that. He has rights. We went to trial. He it was said during the closing argument that he had gone through four lawyers prior to the trial. He decides in his infinite wisdom that he's going to be his own lawyer. The Commonwealth, because you have so many rights in this country, which is a great thing and it's sacred, they gave him standby counsel, who was Bruce Carroll, and it was this guy's lucky day to get Bruce Carroll as a defense counsel standing because he is awesome, and not to mention he's a great guy. So Bruce is sitting there, had minimal you know, input, but every once in a while, this Mark Felix would turn to him and ask him a question, you know, a legal question. But it was a the, it was like a carnival sideshow, the trial. And I'll tell you, Judge Tom Conley, who is now retired, he was the presiding judge and he met his match with Conley because Conley didn't give him a Conley kept him. He, re, he reined him in because he was out of control. He was walking where he wasn't supposed to. He, When the victims got on the stand, he was trying to walk up to them. And the judge has a booming voice and he would scream at him, get back to the podium. And he would. And I'm thinking he, you, he could wake the dead with that. It was such an imposing voice to scream from the bench. And that, ble- you know, he looks and he's screaming, get back to the. Oh, oh God, it was crazy.
0: Here's a question that I. I have. It's just a curious question that's not necessarily cogent to what we're talking about. But how was this defendant dressed in the courtroom?
1: Jordan, 30 years I was in that courtroom. They doll people up. They clean up good. Are you kidding me? You should see how they they spit and polished when they show up. Are you kidding
0: me? No mesh shorts, in other words. Ah,
1: Beautiful, (laughs) you know, pants, tie, the whole bit. They look like pillars of the community.
0: GQ, huh? GQ magazine. Are you
1: kidding me? Hey, I'll tell you just as an aside quickly. Um, Over the years, now, Feline's Basement is gone, but it was one of the most famous places to shop on the planet, really. It was known all over the world. And we all, Bostonians grew up shopping there. Fabulous stuff. I mean, anyone that didn't change their clothes to try stuff off in the Feline's Basement aisle, that's how we grew up. And we would have to stop a trial. And we would wait for the defense attorney to run down Feline's basement and buy an outfit for a defendant. And then he'd go into the lockup and change and come out looking beautiful. Like it happened all the time. (laughs) Jurors would be waiting and they'd send someone down to Feline's basement to, you know, get a pants and a shirt and a tie (laughs) that were the right size.
0: That's kind of information you're only going to hear on this podcast, folks. All right. So let's let's see. How did the jury rule in this case, Diane? What happened?
1: Do you want me to? T- I mean, I yeah. And then I can tell you a little bit about the question and answer how it went. Do you want me? To, I can sure. tell you how it ruled. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Four counts. Jury comes back. Three not guilty one guilty.
0: Wow. So no
1: idea what they thought. No idea. what I have no idea.
0: Three out of four found it not guilty.
1: NG. NG. He never went to law school. He defended himself and he came out almost smelling like a rose. And when he was now the Commonwealth, um, you know, the judge has to go by the sentencing guidelines. He doesn't have, you know, he can't just say you're going away for eight years. So he could only sentence him to three years. So he I guess the um, what I from when I went over the transcript, it was two years to three hundred and sixty four days. In a year, whatever it turned out to be. Three years. You know, at the sentencing hearing, when he was given the three years, the DA, um, it came to light that she informed the court that he had 10 aliases and he had been in jail. I believe he had 10 commitments to the House of Correction. He adamantly denied that he has ever been convicted on anything except for one time. And this is what he said. Your Honor, I've only had one conviction, and that's for distribution back in 2004. Ten other people have used my name. That's why their record comes up to mine. The only conviction is 30 in 39 years is just one. Guns, I don't know nothing about no gun convictions or firearm charges. I've got one conviction for distribution. I feel like two. I don't know what I feel like two means, but that's what he said to the court. He emphatically denied it. But there, in his record, it shows that he's had 10 commitments to jail.
0: One person found him guilty. So does that mean he had to pay a penalty? I don't get it.
1: He had to go to prison, state prison for three years. Out of those four episodes, that one beautiful day. Oh, Dr. I see. Dr. So the, Harvard, the,
0: the one case, we was the one episode was one. One he was episode convicted. of I four. See. The
1: jury saw it that he was open and gross lewdness.
0: Ah, get it. Okay. So he did indeed receive the penalty that the state had uh that's all they kitchen. could give him. Gotcha.
1: Maybe some people think it's fair. I don't know. I don't have an opinion. All I'm saying is that's all he could get. That's what he got. So, but I know Judge Conley. He was one of the most severe, like, sentencing mm, persons that yeah, was yeah. on the bench. What? Uh,
0: was, uh, what? Yeah. Usually there's a reaction when the jury comes back and so forth. Uh, do you recall? I know you were a transcribing it all, but you must have uh, noted the emotional response.
1: Not much. And I'll tell you something. I don't even think any of those people, the four alleged victims were in the courtroom. Maybe there were like two of them, but they had to get back to work and they didn't know the verdict was going to come and this and that. So I don't even know if they were in the courtroom. I can't remember, but if there was something of note, I would have remembered it all these years. Like, cause I remember his face. I remember everything about this guy. So he's been long since out of jail. And I think he said he was, oh, he went up to one of the victims and he she, he started to say, do you know where Copley Square is? And then she started to speak and he said, you sound like you're from New York, baby. I'm from New York.
0: It's an odd way to uh, insinuate yourself into a, into a woman's uh, path and try to be suave and debonair when you're dressed like that and coming on like that. It's an odd, odd thing. And as far as we know, um, this guy went on to live his life after he paid his dues.
1: Yeah, and I know that he did have that 16-page um, record. So I don't know, you know, they, they briefly touched on what was in it, but, you know, but you know what, the, what got me? He had every right to face his accusers. So he did extensively, he didn't just question them, Jordan, for 10 minutes. It went on for a long time. As a matter of fact, the last victim, the one he had put against the wall at one Boston place, he had kind of like corralled her in, even though he didn't touch her. He, um, when sh- she finally broke down in tears on the on the stand, she was kind of being victimized twice as far as mm-hmm. I could see. And you know what he said in open court? He looked up at the judge and he said, Your Honor, she's going to cry. I don't make women cry. The only time women have ever cried is when I've broken up with them.
0: Certainly has a high opinion of himself at that point and also sounds sociopathic as well to, uh, yeah. to a, a layman like me. So this is just one trial, one episode, five days that, you know, is one of many that you've covered. And yet think of all the impact, think of the incredible impact that this trial and this event had on, as you say, those four women and, and anybody else who witnessed it.
1: Absolutely. And you know, another thing, do you know how much it costs to run a courtroom for five days? I mean, one judge that I was very friendly with once gave me, he like, you know, there's a formula, like what it takes to run the courtroom, the staff, the, the, the taxpayer money, what it It's mind boggling how much it costs to try a case. And to me as a responsible citizen, I, 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 feel, you know, why would you burden the system with your behavior? I don't know. I, whatever. But anyway, I just wanted to read you um a few things and just to give you a flavor of this dude who um victim 1 here's the question. Now you noticed he had an erection. How were you able how were you able to observe that? And victim 1 answered, I mean, the shorts were thin material so you could see not the skin visible, but the outline of the penis was very obvious. He began to attract attention to it. He started to pat it initially and then began to touch it more intently. So that's victim one. I didn't realize he did that to victim one. Um, I just thought that I thought he did that to just victim four. But and then. um, The D.A. outlines in her opening statement, she said he started she started to give him directions to Boylston Street. She noticed he had some kind of a book or a map or a paper that he had in his hand. She noticed he was holding it right near his groin area. And she looked in that area when she was providing him with the directions. She saw that he had an erection. But he absolutely blocked victim one's way. She didn't feel like she could get out of the small vestibule to exit outside. And she was afraid to go back into the elevator. And he did block her, you know, so she was in fear. He his rendition of what was going on was he was spitting game. Have you ever heard of that? No. Well, I've learned over the years from sitting in those courtrooms, all kinds of slang. And I don't know if you're familiar with Urban Mm -hmm. Dictionary, Mm -hmm. but spitting game, according to Urban Dictionary, is to use charm, wit, humor or other means verbally, like to get attention of a female. So he says he was just hanging with his boy in downtown crossing and had time to kill and was spitting game. So, and you know, in the trial, he kept when he was, you know, cross-examining these four alleged victims, he was like, when he stood up to initially question them, he'd say, for instance, say her name was Casey. Her name wasn't Casey, but Hey Casey, how you doing? It's so inappropriate to call somebody, their first name in a courtroom. It's like Ms. Jones, Ms. You know, Ms. Brown. And the judge admonished him through the entire trial, the whole, the whole trial. He had to keep correcting them. He was doing so many things that were just so egregious.
0: So what were some of the other things that he actually said that you were able to transcribe?
1: But right, I'm going to read you a little excerpt of when he was cross-examining victim number one. This is Mr. Felix's question. Do you remember me asking you, OK, since you don't smoke weed, maybe you and me could do a DVD thing, milk and cookies. And then he gets cut off and the victim says, you never said that. And then he says, "You, I never said we could watch a movie, milk and cookies, none of that. And she said, no, I was just trying to get away from you. Hmm. I mean, crazy, you know, like just absolutely crazy the things that he was saying to these poor women. On the stand. But then again, you can't lose sight. He has a right. Mm-hmm. He absolutely has a right. Of
0: course, we all do. Yeah.
1: Oh, no. Also, one other thing that afternoon when he was um, grabbed, he was, did I tell you they got him, they apprehended him on Bromfield Street, which is in the same area, because One Boston Place, that woman that worked for the mortgage company, when she was in that alley and she kind of, you know, was put against the wall and felt she couldn't move and was in fear, she ran back upstairs to a, she got away from, she went to a sub shop, she didn't get anything to eat, but then she ran back to her office and there was an older woman that everyone affectionately regarded as a mom type, and she told her what happened, she was hysterical. And the woman, you know, they called, they were going to call the police, but she took the girl outside and said, let's go outside. You need some air, calm down. They go outside and they see the guy. And then the guy disappears. Lo and behold, there's a bomb scare in the building. So now the security guards and there's all police around. And they got to one of the Boston policemen who was on a bicycle detail and said this is what he looks like, and they nabbed him a few minutes later. And three of the victims that afternoon from afar ID'd him properly. The fourth victim, about a month later in a police lineup at Area A Station over on New New Sudbury Street, properly ID'd him. So they all ID'd him. But, you know, he gave his closing argument, which is just a wrap-up. At the end of a trial before the jury begins to deliberate and it's not it's it's what you believe the evidence showed it's not you know it's how they saw it so he gets up and he under the rules he's allowed 30 minutes he blabbed on so long that the judge ended up giving him latitude of 60 minutes and at the end of the 60 minutes in open court he's arguing with the judge and he needs more time oh. that he hasn't had time to go through i mean it was just so crazy but when he got on the stand i mean when he stood up to address the jury before they were going to begin to deliberate he was saying stuff like i'm really nervous Hypothetically speaking, let's say I'm an attorney. I'm representing a defendant. He was so off base, the judge had to keep admonishing him to get back to how he should have been addressed. He was improperly addressing the jury, but he said a lot of wacky stuff. He was referring to Santa Claus, a big, fat white man, and going down a chimney. And he was just saying, you know, I go downtown. I meet up with my boy. My boy goes on break. I go up and I spoke with a chick. As soon as I get downtown, I meet a chick all the way down here. I spoke to her. I didn't get her number though, unsuccessful. And he just rambles on. Goes, a lot of the times, girls will tell me she got a man, but she might call me a week later and say, I ain't with him no more. We could be friends, all right? And you know, then he tells the jury that he's had four lawyers and that he dumped them. Um, And I do remember one part, he called himself the magical mouthpiece. (laughs) I do remember that. He said, I'm a magical mouthpiece. He said, when I was younger, I used to get fooled a lot. I don't like being lied to. But when I discovered I got lied to, I was like, hold on. Then I started questioning things. You could tell me that Santa Claus came from the chimney and I believed it. You know, Santa Claus, this 300 pound man, one foot in the chimney, He don't fit down that chimney. He also said in his closing, a chick is going to give you her number pulling a stunt like this. If I look like a gorilla, then I would have to resort to that. But as long as I've got this face that my mommy gave me and the gift of gab, the magical mouthpiece, I can spit game doing shit. I never have to resort to this foolishness. I can wave to a chick and come back to the spot. Women throw their panties at me. I know I'm smooth in appearance. Women tell me that all the time. Know what I'm saying? And I see it to my advantage. I might be a little conceited, but whatever. Know what I'm saying? You know, I'm a pretty dude. Know what I'm saying? Pretty is not in the eyes of a man. Faggots come at me too. I don't go that route. Know what I'm saying? I know I look good. Chicks like my eyes, my mouth, and whatever. I spit game at chicks all the time.
0: Well, you actually were transcribing those exact words in that trial as you do every trial. And uh, it's quite a spew of uh, rhetoric, if I'm being kind. What a case, Diane. What a case.
1: Yep. And it just, you know, those cases, Jordan, they come and go every day. I'm not saying that there's an exposure every day in Boston. What I'm saying is. I hit a nickel for every case that goes unheard, unseen, it just in and out over, it just goes on in those courtrooms daily is mind boggling. But that's a a bird's eye view of the, the content of what I would transcribe on a regular basis. This is Diane Godfrey. This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. If you need legal representation, please consult an attorney. I do not have a law degree. Over the years, many people have contacted me seeking legal advice. I am not qualified to dispense any legal advice.
0: Before we close the courtroom door on this podcast, we remind you that All Rise with Diane Godfrey is available on all podcast platforms. We invite you to subscribe, download, rate, and review this podcast. You've been listening to All Rise with Diane Godfrey. True stories from inside the courthouse from the lady who wrote everything down. Case dismissed.